I'm Vanessa Greenlee, and this is the Plastics Challenge Podcast. In every episode, we meet inventors, scientists, and changemakers who are tackling the global plastics waste problem head on. And they're interviewed by people who want to know more about plastics pollution solutions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Plastics Challenge Podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Greenlee. In today's episode, we're talking about a core recommendation from the new Plastics Economy Report that all plastic packaging be reused, recycled, or composted in practice. Now, if you want to know more about that report from the World Economic Forum and the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, we've included the link in the show notes. Here today to talk about new plastic packaging solutions are Jeffrey Coates and Thomas Shelley. Jeff Coates is a chemist and the Tisch University professor in the Department of Chemistry and Chemical Biology at Cornell University. He's the scientific co-founder of Novamer, a sustainable materials company that features high-performance polymers and other chemicals from renewable feedstocks. Jeff is also the scientific co-founder of Intermix Performance Materials. Jeff's being interviewed today by Tom Shelley. Tom is a longtime environmental activist in Tompkins County, New York, where he managed the Signs of Sustainability series for Sustainable Tompkins for 12 years. He's worked for many years in the Cornell University Environmental Health and Safety Unit. And before that, Tom was one of the co-founders of the Height Ashbury Food Co-op the humble beginnings of an organization that grew into today's large food co-ops like Green Star. Welcome, Tom and Jeff. Good afternoon, Jeff. It's nice talking with you about plastics. In the literature you've published, you've used the term circular economy. What does this mean, since a lot of people haven't heard of the term before? Yeah, great question, Tom. So let me start out with what the opposite, which is a linear economy. So let's say you wake up in the morning and you have some yogurt for breakfast and you eat it out of a plastic cup. So that plastic started life as fossil fuel in the earth. They pulled it out as oil or natural gas. They then turned that into the plastic that we know and love. But at the end of life, you might like to think a yogurt cup's gonna be recycled, but only about 2% of packaging materials are actually recycled. So there's a bigger chance that it's going to end up in a landfill or in some parts of the world, it might actually end up in the environment. And so that's what I would call a linear economy. We take, we make, we use, we dispose, and or pollute. Now, a circular economy, just as the name implies, it's circular. So we would make a plastic, we would use the plastic. Ideally, we would maybe reuse the plastic over and over. But at the end of life, we don't put it in a landfill. We don't put it in the environment. We would take that plastic and then turn it back in, maybe the feedstocks that are used to make the new plastic. So if you follow the materials in the circular cycle, there's no end of life. It's used over and over and over. That's great. Thank you. You mentioned that most plastics are made from oil and gas, which is what the general conception of plastic feedstocks are. How are plastics made from other materials? Yeah, so you probably have heard of polymers like PET. Think of a two-liter Coke bottle, polyethylene, maybe your detergent bottle or a milk jug polypropylene, plastic lawn chairs, various types of container materials. These are all really common plastics. And if you trace back the carbon in all these materials, it goes back to fossil fuels, so either oil or natural gas. There's a lot of interest in moving away from fossil fuel as a limited feedstock 
and use what we'll call renewable feedstocks. And a really nice example of that is you might go to Starbucks and you might buy a cold coffee drink and it might say something about being made from corn. Other bottles would say made from PLA. And this is a material called polylactic acid. And so that material is very different. Instead of taking oil out of the ground, they would either grow sugar cane in Brazil or they would grow corn in the United States. They would take the sugar from those, they would do a fermentation and, and then some chemical processing to make the plastic. And so if you look at the carbon, it came from CO2 because the plants use CO2 and sunlight to make the sugar. And then we procedure then to use fossil fuel and, and just pure chemistry. That's a great answer. Thank you. It's uh, my take that plastics are certainly needed in many applications, and they certainly enhance many aspects of modern life. But what about the idea of making less plastic overall? Thanks, Tom. That's another great question. You might know that plastics grow at about 6% a year, which is a lot more than the population growth of the planet. So we're using more and more plastic mm -hmm. every year. And at some point, as we decarbonize transportation and energy, the plastics industry is going to be one of the, the biggest contributors to carbon dioxide in our atmosphere. So we clearly need to either make much more efficient ways of making plastics um, or we need to find ways to use less plastic, and that can be also done by recycling it. A lot of mandates in Europe by 2025, they've mandated that up to 25% of plastic packaging needs to come from recycled sources. So that's clearly going to limit the amount of plastic that we use every year. I'm involved in a startup called Intermix Performance Materials. I'm one of the co-founders. And our goal there is to find ways that we can take two of the world's most important plastics, polypropylene, which is a really rigid material, and polyethylene, which is almost indestructible. And by making a composite of those two, we hope we'll be able to use way less plastic in the packaging. So imagine you go to the store and you buy a bottle of laundry detergent. The plastic we would use for the bottle, we might be able to use 30%, 40% less because we combine the rigidity. You don't want the bottle to collapse when you stack up a bunch in the store, but you also don't want it to be brittle. Um, and so by making these alloys, we think we can dramatically decrease the amount of plastic that we use every year. Are the alloys actually chemically intermixed or are they just different layers? Like a lot of plastic packaging is several different layers of different plastics. Yeah, which is actually causes a lot of problems in the recycle streams. So this company called Intermix does exactly what the name of the company says. We're mixing, we're basically making alloys of two very different plastics that each bring something really important to the performance characteristics. If you look at the global usage of plastic over time, billions and billions of tons of plastic have been produced, especially since World War II, and about 80% of that plastic is still with us. So I was wondering if there are innovative ways you can take existing plastic and use it as feedstocks. Let me break that down into kind of two parts. You know, one is, why don't we recycle 100% of our plastics? And part of the problem is that we have many different types of plastics. You can't take all these different plastics and just melt them down and then make something that has reasonable properties. If you just take two very similar polymers like polyethylene and polypropylene and you melt them down, you get a really crumbly material that's pretty much worthless for anything. And so what that means is you have to then go in, you have to sort. And you might have noticed on the bottom of your milk jug, there's a recycle symbol with a number, and that's indicative of high-density polyethylene, the type of plastic that milk jug's made out of. And so if you pay people to go and sort these plastics, then you facilitate the recycling because then you have really good plastics. You you keep all the polypropylenes together, you keep all the polyethylenes together, you keep all the polystyrenes together. But there's a lot of cost in that. 
and right now it's cost prohibitive to do that sorting. And so one of the things that intermixed performance materials does is we make an additive that you don't have to sort the polyethylene from the polypurpylene. You throw them in together, you put in a little bit of our additive, and then you get this alloy that has superior properties to either the polyethylene or the polypropylene. We're now working with a large company, and they were really concerned about plastics in the ocean. And they collected a lot of plastics, but really quickly found out there's not just one type of plastic in the ocean, there are many types. And by the time the, the waves break up the plastic into smaller pieces, you can't look at the bottom and find out, oh, that's polyethylene, I'm going to put it over here, that's polypropylene. And so we're working with them to use our additive to take 50 tons of ocean plastics and get them to a point where they actually have the right type of properties that allow us to use it again in a new application. I assume you've heard of extended producer responsibility, wherein the plastic or other consumer products are required the company to take back whatever they produce so it could be recycled or reused. I assume something like that would help the sorting issue and making cleaner feedstocks. Familiar with that, or what do you think of that concept? Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I do think that end users need to design their packaging better. You know, the idea that every plastic packaging, think as you go to the store, Tide detergents in an orange bottle, it's got a blue cap. The base of it is polyethylene. The cap, the blue cap is polypropylene. They need to figure out a way to make plastic packaging that has the right consumer group properties out of just one plastic. So you don't have to saw the neck of it off and put that in the polypropylene pile and take the base and put that in the polyethylene pile. Mm -hmm. I also think they need to take the pigments out of the plastics. Milk jugs are highly sought after because they're colorless. And if you want to make something out of it, you can put a wrap over the outside. You can also add more pigment. So if we could unify the way we make materials, not make multi-layers that are almost impossible to recycle, use a very limited set of polymers, put a colorful wrap on the outside, but have the bulk of the plastic be colorless so that we can use it and not worry about, oh, I can't make a Tide bottle because it's green and consumer won't know what that stuff is because they're used to the orange bottle. I think we do need to work on that. We, we definitely need either extended producer responsibility or mandates. The polymer industry has had decades to rectify the situation. They've routinely tried to push back and make it the customer's responsibility to recycle, not making it easy for that to happen. I'm convinced that the only way that we're going to rectify the situation is with government mandates and maybe some government subsidies to make sure that we are using plastic in a responsible way that society can use for the future generations. Looking for ways to reduce your use of single-use plastics? Shop Zero Waste at Green Star Food Co-op in Ithaca, New York. Bring your own container and purchase your coffee, pasta, rice, baking supplies, and snacks from the bulk bin. Reduce packaging and save on your grocery bill with affordable options at Green Star. Get only what you need of a variety of spices, herbs, and dry teas. Bulk shopping is easier at Green Star Food Co-op, Ithaca's community-owned grocery store for more than 50 years. Learn more at greenstar.coop. Another question I have is about compostable plastics. Like, for example, many plastics now say compostable on a container, but Cuca Compost, which is our local compost business, has stopped taking all compostable plastics because the public can't tell the difference between a cornstarch fork and a plastic fork, and they get intermingled, and they have a terrible contamination problem. Is there a way to address this problem in terms of, quote, compostable plastics? My philosophy is the composting is probably the last thing we want to do with these plastics. It's kind of like you're burning the plastic, right? You're letting nature chew it up, and you're consuming the carbon, and you're making CO2. It'd be way better if you could take those plastics and use them again. 
So if you can keep the carbon content, make a new material, turn it into something else useful that you might be using fossil fuel to make, it'd be way better to do that than to make a material that you put in a compost heap on purpose. Now, unfortunately, about a third of the plastics used worldwide end up in the environment in an unwanted fashion, right? So pollution in either the land, the soil, or the water. And so for that reason, we do want materials that are biodegradable, that if they end up in the water or the soil, they won't float around the ocean for 100 years or 200 years, that they'll break down like a piece of wood would. And this is mainly in developing countries where, you know, we're great. We, we have garbage trucks that drive by our house once a week. Not all countries are fortunate enough to have municipal garbage collection. And unfortunately, it's those countries where the use of plastic, they don't have anywhere to put it, and it will unfortunately end up in the environment. Those are the sorts of places where you really want to use a material that there's going to be a high probability that it gets into the land, which then is going to float into a stream, it's going to go into a river or lake, and then finally the ocean. You want those materials to be made out of a material that are truly biodegradable and ideally ocean degradable. Are there any other comments you have about uh, reducing, reusing, recycling plastic? I think if you ask a person on the street, you know, the plastic that you put out on the curb, what percent of it ends up back in plastic objects that you use again? Plastic milk jugs, yogurt containers, and it's 2%, right? And I think a lot of people think it's 88%. We've got to find ways to get the 2% to 10% to 20% to 40% to right? And it's not going to happen overnight. Would government incentives help? Maybe if it went into public education, the public is really ignorant about what to do with plastic. And I walk up and down my street every recycling day, and I see styrofoam in there. I see all kinds of mixed plastics in there that obviously are not going to be recycled, all sorts of garbage. And the stream is really funky. And Tompkins County Recycling has this program called Clean the Stream for Recycling. But very few people are actually cleaning the stream. And how do you address that? That's more of a social issue than a scientific chemistry kind of issue. So I think, I think mandates are going to be important. Europe is way ahead of the United States. The biggest mandate they have is by 2025, up to 25% of plastic packaging must come from renewable resources. So it has to be recycled mm -hmm. plastic. And um, I think if you talk to the, the end users, the companies that sell their products in plastic, right now, they have no idea how they're going to meet that mandate. And it's three and a half years from now, right? So there's a lot of anxiety, but that means that there's also a lot of research, a lot of investment in finding new ways to take plastics and use them again. The polyethylene in a used milk jug is worth twice as much as brand new polyethylene. And that's because in Europe, if you're a company that sells your detergent and 2025, you can't sell your detergent anymore because you don't have enough recycled content. They'll pay anything for these plastics. So used plastic is going for twice the price as brand new plastic. And it's those sort of mandates that now make people think, wow, instead of making styrofoam containers that pretty much 0% of those are recycled, if I made those out of polyethylene at the end of life, that material is worth twice as much as the polymer I made it from. And we can use it again and again. We know what it is. It's polyethylene. It's very clean, pigment-free polymer. So I think you're going to see change in behavior based on these mandates. Today's episode of the Plastics Challenge podcast was produced by Vanessa Greenling. It was edited by Stephanie Chow. Our theme music is by Nick Bullock, John Petronzio, and Devin Reel of Revision. Special thanks to the Tompkins County Environmental Management Council, 
the Cornell Environmental Collaborative, and the Jeffrey Coates Laboratory. The podcast is sponsored in part by Cornell's Office of Engagement Initiatives. I'm Vanessa Greenlee. See you next time as we continue community conversations about solutions to plastics pollution.